Good morning, everybody. How are you? Well, it's good to see you here. Hope you'll uh, join us for a few minutes here. And uh, we invite you to stand with us if you'd like. The words will be here on the screen. Let's just enjoy the words of the What do you see? It's worth looking our way. We are free. In ways that we never should be. Sweet release from the grip of these chains. Like and just straining from the Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. Nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. All that is within me, Christ, for you alone, be glorified in
through the book of Mark, there was this short story, um, this short mentioning of Jesus having met with a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I told you at that time, it, you know, it's one of my absolute, it might in fact be my favorite story in the Gospels, um, and that I, I look forward to hopefully being able to share that with you soon, and today is soon, so yay! Um, and, and one of the things probably the thing I love most about this story is that for me, I see Jesus interacting in a very personal manner, which I think is as close as we see to the ideal of the relationship Jesus wants to have with us. Uh, in so many other cases throughout uh, the Gospels, you know, Jesus is interacting with complete strangers, which is different than what he wants with us. He's interacting with, uh, in very contentious circumstances, with religious leaders. And admittedly, our relationship with Jesus can get a little contentious, but that's because we're wrong. Um, and even even when Jesus is dealing with the twelve, how, how you deal with twelve really close friends and how you deal with one is completely different. And so, in here, in this story where we're about to look at, I see, for me, kind of the tone, the nature of the relationship that I think I see, I see the picture of the relationship I think Jesus wants to have with us. And for me, uh, now at this point in my life, I see something, and it's beautiful, and I'm not there yet, but I'm closer. But conversely, if, if you take this as a template of what Jesus wants to have with us, 
many ways, it can be a little frightening. Because for a lot of us, we're still sort of at a place in our spiritual lives where we sort of want to keep Jesus at kind of arm's length. That, you know, Jesus, you just, we want Jesus to just stay in a big glass box that says emergency only. And we want to kind of be able to go about our day to day. You know, we don't want Jesus impacting the way we deal with other people. We don't want Jesus impacting the way we live our lives with our families. We don't want Jesus impacting relationships with coworkers. We don't want Jesus getting involved when we drive. We just want him to stay over there, out of the way, until everything goes bad. Which, pro tip, generally everything goes bad because we keep Jesus over there out of the way. But that's just never neither here nor there. Um, but once, once you let Jesus out of that box, and you let him sort of come in and have sway over your life and that relationship, uh, it, it can be equal parts frightening and just horrifying and, and beautiful. And so I hope today that you find something in here. There, there's a little, little something in here for everybody, but particularly if you're at that point where you're, you're maybe thinking, there's got to be more to this relationship. Because if you're not viewing what you have with Jesus as a relationship, as a, like a real flesh and blood relationship, that's, that's your next step. That's where you need to look down the road. That's where you need to head towards. All right, so stage is set. So we pick up in Luke chapter 24. Um, starting in verse 13, on the road to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going, two of them being two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he, being Jesus, said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village, which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for this beautiful day, beautiful inside, beautiful outside. Thank you for each and every one who's here in the house, those watching this morning um, via, via video, those who will watch in the days to come. And I just pray this morning, at this time, Father, that you would come and you would meet with each one of us. That you would take your word, you would plant it deep in our hearts, Father, and you would produce a bounty 
that when you would produce in us what it is you know that we need. If you would speak to us this morning the words that are meant for us individually. And that we would end this time and we would go from this place having been changed for having been in relationship with you, for having been in contact with you, for having heard your word and committing ourselves to being diligent and obedient with what you speak to us. Create in us right now, Father, an expectation that you are here, that you have something to say to us as individuals, and that whatever it is you share with us is good news. For every good and perfect word from the Father is good news to those who hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're just going to kind of walk through this thing, just, you know, kind of verses at a time, because there's just there's so many little little things that apply. So verses 13 and 14. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. All right. So there's these two disciples. We've heard mention of them before. Mark talks about them briefly at the end of his book. And based on what they share with Jesus, we know they were kind of like right in the thick of things with, you know, Peter and John and James and all the rest. And, uh, you know, the third day has come and it's gone. And, you know, they're hearing some stories, but they're not really seeing the glorious reappearance of Jesus the way they kind of expected. And so, you know, their business in Jerusalem is over and they're kind of headed home. You know, they're not really walking. They're just sort of, you know, that, that shuffle thing. You know, and they're kind of kicking their feet and kicking rocks down the road. And they're defeated. They're depressed. They're down. They're going, you know, we had all our hopes pinned on this thing, and it did not. And again, like how many times we talk about through Mark, you know, there's this preconceived idea about who and what Jesus is. And then Jesus goes, you don't get to define me. I'm Jesus. I tell you who I am, and you learn to live with it. And it's better than what you thought. So what we see is Jesus meets with us in the bad times. And just as we're walking with Jesus, just as we've committed to Jesus, just as we've chosen to make Jesus an integral part of our lives, does not mean the bad is not going to come. Does not mean the bad is not going to show up without explanation. Because there will be times, I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you a thousand times, I'll tell you until I'm blue in the face, I'll tell you until you're blue in the face, there's a lot of times there will be bad in your life, and when you want to locate the cause of the bad in your life, find a mirror. It's a hard word, but the, the fact of the matter is, so many times, the calamity that strikes our lives is because we have chosen to live outside of God's will. We have chosen to do things, our, and it doesn't necessarily mean we have chosen to do the wrong thing. We've chosen to be bad. Oh, I'm going to be evil today. It's just because we've chosen to live in an unwise manner. And when you choose to live in an unwise manner, there will be consequences. And God is good, and God is forgiving, and when you find yourself in a bad situation, God will be there for you and help you. But just because bad things happen and you turn to God does not mean God shows up and just erases everything. you still got to deal with the consequences of what you did. But bottom line, good, bad, and different, when things go wrong, your fault, his fault, nobody's fault, God is there with you. And too many times, you'll be looking around, and you can't find him, and you don't know where it is. Believe. This is where faith comes in. It's easy to believe Jesus is there when the skies are blue and the rainbows are there and the birds are singing. You need to just as assuredly believe he is there when things go wrong. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Again, things are bad, things don't look good, Jesus draws near. And, and they don't 
see it because, you know, they don't even see somebody come up on them because they're just so involved in what they're doing. Um, I can't remember the exact quote or exactly how he phrased it, but um, Dallas Willard said, one of the things, one of the best ways to deal with dark times and, and unfortunate circumstances in your life is to find somebody else to help. Because, because one of the fundamental parts of determining how bad bad times are is your focus. If all your focus is, is on the darkness and the badness and how terrible things are, things are going to be bad. But if you can re-divert your focus and you can just, let me find somebody else to help. Let me find somebody else I can focus on and I can help through this. Things aren't necessarily going to be better for you, but your focus has changed. And when you're not paying attention, you ever, I, I guess I guess I'm sure you know, they've come to me, when, or not now, it's big, big like this, but you know, when they were little like this, they'd come and it'd be like, um, my finger hurts. Do you want me to punch you in the nose? Well, if I punch you in the nose, you're not going to feel your finger anymore. It's sort of like that, only in a nicer, better way that works out better for everybody. All right, so you walk with Jesus, bad stuff's going to happen. But even in the midst of the bad stuff, Jesus is going to be there. You have to believe. It's going to be really easy to assume Jesus isn't here. Where is Jesus? He's there. Go with me. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other? Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I have to assume, in this instance, they were kept from recognizing him supernaturally. See, and I'm not going to bog you down with all the backstory. If if you want to know where how I got here, you email me. I'll send you a couple articles for you. You can decide for yourself. But by making some educated inferences, these two people that Jesus has just drifted up on, that Jesus is engaged in conversation with, are not just any two random people. See, later in the text, one of them will be identified as Cleopas. Educated inference tells us Cleopas was probably Jesus' own uncle, the brother of Joseph the carpenter. So a man who would have known Jesus his entire life, from the time he was little, 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 to the time he was really big, and then he died, and then he comes back, and he keeps knowing him after that. His uncle, this is somebody who knows him intimately. This is somebody who knew him before he was Jesus the Christ. This is somebody who knew him when he was just Jesus being a little kid. Scripture also tells us that Mary, the wife of Cleopas, was with Mary at the crucifixion. So, two and two, you put them together, according to old math, that makes four. The people Jesus has just engaged in conversation his aunt and his uncle, his own personal earthly bloodline aunt and uncle, and they don't recognize him. So you have to assume something supernatural is going on that has prevented them from recognizing their nephew. We do not get to be so lucky. You see, if we are in the midst of dark times, dark circumstances, and we don't recognize Jesus' presence with us, probably it's because our focus is in the wrong place. Our full focus is on the storm. Our focus is on the cloud. Our focus is on the raging waters. Our focus is on the wall that has blocked us off from, from the progress we hope to make. We can't see Jesus. We can't recognize Jesus because we're not looking for Jesus. And, and there's a difference between oh Jesus, everything is so terrible. Oh Jesus, please come help me. 
There's a difference between that and a solid acknowledgement that Jesus is here with me now, and I don't know how, and I don't know where, but he will go through this with me. Distinction. There's a difference between Jesus will walk through this with me and Jesus will fix this. Sometimes, whatever it is, doesn't get fixed. Sometimes the darkness that confronts you in the short term gets too grim. Sometimes the sickness you've prayed against doesn't go away. Sometimes that relationship you've prayed so desperately to restore doesn't get fixed. Sometimes the calamity, personal, professional, emotional, physical, whatever it is, in the short term, in earthly appearances, seems to get to be victorious. And if you don't recognize Jesus' presence in the midst of the storm with you, it's real easy to see how that can be. But when you begin to develop the personal, deep connection that Jesus wants to have with you, you come to the point where you recognize good, bad, or indifferent, no matter how any circumstance turns out, I am with Jesus and He is with me and together we win. On the other side of this storm, He and I together win. On the other side of this sickness, He and I together, we win. And no matter how things turn out for me, at the end of my life, But for here right now, will you focus? When Jesus comes to you, will you see him? Will you be looking for him? Or will you be so focused on the badness and the darkness that he just kind of drifts up on you and you didn't even notice he was there? Sometimes Jesus might show up appearing to be somebody else. No, I'm not talking about angels. That's a whole different thing. I'm not going down that road. Sometimes people sends, sometimes Jesus sends people you know who love you to come in and help you. And that's Jesus. And Jesus shows up and looking for him. And, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, his uncle, probably, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he, being Jesus, said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Okay. Angels came and told you. And you're still like, I mean, and this, I wasn't even going down this road, but you know, how many signs from God do you need before you recognize God is talking to you? Sometimes the signs God will do for you, sometimes the signs of God's presence, not going to be the burning bush. God has gotten a lot more subtle over the years. Now, I'm not saying you can't see the burning bush. I am saying burning bush? Maybe let's think twice about that. Maybe see if you can find a really good close confidant friend and say, did you see the bush? And if they do, sign from God. If they don't, whatever your problem was, just came slot number two. They 
came back, the angel said, he's alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but whom they did not see. And he said to them, oh, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Sometimes, there are things God wants to teach you. And the sad, unfortunate truth is, sometimes there are lessons you can only learn in the storm. We are a fair-weather people. And when things are good and sunny and rainbows and the birds singing and the mosquitoes ain't too bad and the temperature's just right, it can be really hard. I mean, you know, thank you, Jesus, for a beautiful day. That's not the same thing. And it can be really hard in those good times for Jesus to teach us anything because we're distracted by the fact that things are just so difficult. You know, if you look, at the health of the church, church big C, global God's church on the earth, you look for places where things are going fairly well, which America is one of those places. Despite recent issues we may or may not be having, things in America are pretty darn good. Whatever our level of poverty is considered on a global scale, Ain't poverty. We're a first world nation. We got answers for everything. We got systems for everything. And because we can rely on so much, we don't need to rely on God. And that's why the health of the church in the United States isn't looking so good. But you look at other places in the world, you know, third world countries, those places, those parts where where ethnic cleansing, genocide, of pandemics that make COVID look like nothing. I mean, Ebola outbreaks and true darkness of the human spirit. You look at those places and God's kingdom is flourishing because in those places people recognize that the only hope we have, the only sustenance we have is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is all you have, you have Jesus. When Jesus is one more option on the menu of good stuff that you've been blessed with, you take that for granted real quick. So sometimes God needs the storm to catch your attention, to distract you from everything else that's around you, because that's where he's going to teach you. And that's exactly what happens here. Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, you guys look pretty bummed out. What are you talking about? I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Jesus sounds like. And they're like, everything is just so terrible. And basically, they go back and they recap Jesus' like last three days. And if you look at Jesus' last three days, things don't look so hot. But Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me rewind the story all the way to back here. And Jesus starts teaching them from the very beginning. He starts teaching them Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Kings and Chronicles and all the Old Testament. And in the grand scheme of God's picture, the last three days really isn't so bad. And sometimes, maybe Jesus is trying to teach you in the midst of this one little moment of darkness, It's bad, and no matter how bad it is, I mean, you're bad, it will be bad. And I'm not going to tell you your bad is not bad, but I'm just going to tell you if you put your bad, your worst, into a timeline of, say, 8 billion years, there's going to come a moment when your life really bad is going to be like, um, hey, do you remember that time? Well, you know, it was like seven billion years ago. Oh, and I think I think I'm getting something out of it. 
in the vast scheme of forever. This one moment is, is that. But in this one moment, what you will take away is not how bad it was, but how much Jesus was there and how much Jesus taught you and how because of this one dark moment, you came out the other side knowing Jesus a little bit more, relying on Jesus a little bit more, trusting Jesus a little bit more. Jesus shows up in the storm because that's where he can get your attention. So they drew near the village to which they were going. This, I, as many times as I've read this, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to do with this. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. Does that mean he wasn't really going to get, like he was just kind of, okay, I'm going now. Ooh, sure it's late. Sure I'm hungry, but I have places to go. Quite sure I'd love to come in for dinner. Did he, in fact, have something further down the road he needed to do, but decided in the moment that whatever that was wasn't as important as this? <laughs> you know what? You sit down, ask Jesus to teach you something, tell him, ask him to teach you what that means, and then you tell me what you think. He acted as if he was going further, they urged him to stay. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. The road from Emmaus to Jerusalem is about seven miles. We don't know at what point Jesus showed up, but we, we imagine, I imagine, we can imagine, it was a lengthy part of the trip because Jesus is doing a deep dive into Scripture and he's teaching them all about his backstory, all about how, you know, his death on the cross and his resurrection was the natural outcome of all of recorded scriptural history up to that point. So probably they were there a length of time. And Jesus is teaching them, and certainly these two people, as his disciples, as people who have listened to Jesus speak on any number of topics, would have been exposed to his teaching. But even in having been exposed to the teaching of Jesus, and being present for the teaching of this unknown stranger, this last man, they didn't recognize Jesus. They have no idea. They have no concept. It's not until they go in and they sit down around the table and Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. Because this is what you do. You, you would have, you know, your bread would be like a big chunk of bread. And, you know, if it was a, possibly it was still Passover. They're just coming to the end of Passover. So assumedly they don't really have yeast in the house yet. So probably it's still, you know, kind of the thin, kind of sloppy um, tortilla-type bread. And Jesus takes it, and he rips it apart. And in that moment, something about the way Jesus did that was very jesus You know, there are, there are people in your life that, that, that do things a certain way. And even if you couldn't see a face, if you saw somebody do a certain thing a certain way, you would go, I know who that is. And it's in this moment that for some reason, in the breaking of that bread, they both went, oh, snap, it's just poof, he's gone. See, Jesus intends to interact with us in a very personal manner. Jesus doesn't want to be this impersonal, you know, we may start out as a, we always start out the Savior thing. He's the guy up on the cross. I'm the one going to hell. He's on the cross. I don't have to go to hell. And it's a very transactional relationship. And then after some time, it turns into a, you know, a teacher-student kind of thing. Jesus wants us to continue to progress in this relationship to a, to a 
brother, 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 sister, intimate, close friend sort of relationship. And at the beginning, you know, our relationship with him may stem from, uh, okay, a general sense of, I read the word, I know the word is good, I know the word is the word of God, so I will teach you this stuff. I think it's a good place to start. It's not personal. It's not real close and warm and fuzzy, but it's a place to start. Jesus wants us to go beyond that to the thing where, where when we get a voice, when we're being taught something, when somebody from up here is speaking, we recognize that's the voice of Jesus. That's the message of Jesus. That's the word of Jesus speaking to me right now. Because I recognize Jesus personally in my life. We can be driving along and listen to a song, and there can be a line in the song that maybe hits us at the right place because it's where we are, and it's not just some emotional connection. It's Jesus saying, hey, talk to me. And we can recognize Jesus in the words of some lyrics that we never know. It can be as simple as, Lord, I'm having a really bad day. Maybe the parking place that you need. It may be the kind words from a friend that you didn't see coming. It may be something you got in the mail. It may be an email you got. It may be a sudden resolution to an issue that you've been struggling with for so long. It may be a sudden resolution to a, to an issue you didn't even realize was an issue. Do you begin to recognize the personal impact of Jesus in your life? And this might be my my favorite part. Verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us scriptures? You may not recognize the voice of Jesus. It may be that, that generic sort of thing, you know, the I hear the music, I hear the lyrics, I know they're based in Scripture. Okay, that's, thank you for the words, Jesus. It may be reading through your Bible, and you read through it because you know you should, but you don't really see those connections there. But there comes a point where if you put in the effort, and you put in the time, and you develop a true relationship with Jesus Christ that you begin to recognize the voice of Jesus Christ in your life. And the voice of Jesus will be distinct from any other influence in your life. When you learn to recognize the voice of Jesus Christ, you will know that when he speaks to you, it is unlike any other voice. And truly, your heart will burn within you. And you will recognize that voice that is speaking to you, that's not my emotions. That's not my conscience. That's not a generic message intended for somebody else. You will recognize that when Jesus speaks to you, there's a power and a clarity and an intelligence that is unlike anything else. You will recognize when you get a sudden moment of clarity and a sudden, a sudden revelation I mean, for me, generally, if I'm having a thought that is too smart for me to be having, it's a higher bar than you might think. That's Jesus. When when I'm having a thought that is compelling me to do the last thing on earth I want to do, but I can see the beauty and the power and the love of doing this thing, that's Jesus. And as I've lived my life and I've, and I've learned to begin to rely on that voice, I recognize 
when Jesus is talking to me and I learn to trust. And so many times, Jesus will be telling me something I don't want to hear, I don't want to know, I don't want to do. And yet, I've grown to the point. Okay. I mean, grown to the point where I'm just flat out obedient. But I struggle against the voice. And I trust in it more. And I know it's not about outcome. I know when the voice of Jesus speaks to my life and instructs me, I don't know in that moment how doing this thing or not doing this thing is going to turn out. But the outcome of it is not the important part. It's that I have heard and I have done and I have trusted. And because I have heard and done and trusted, it's just that little bit easier to hear and do and trust. to the point where the voice of Jesus speaking into your life is unmistakable. And for a lot of us, we don't want Jesus' voice to be unmistakable. Because once we hear the unmistakable voice of Jesus, we're left in a place where we refuse to obey or disobey. And ignorance is no longer Once you remove ignorance from the equation, either I'm obedient or I'm disobedient. I don't like how that works out. Jesus wants to speak in your life, and the truth of the matter is, Jesus is speaking into your life on a daily basis in ways you haven't even comprehended yet. And it's only in learning that voice and trusting that voice and learning to differentiate that voice from every other influence in your life. relationship becomes so personal and it's impacted that relationship with God becomes so beautiful and makes everything else so easy if you never hear that voice it makes every storm every trial every test every temptation because in that moment you don't just trust said, I don't know what part fits with you, what part doesn't. Maybe all of it, maybe none of it. I don't know. I throw the word out there. It's up to him to do with it what he will. But I would ask if there, if there was something that seemed to stick a little bit more than the rest, hold on to that for a minute. I'm going to play a video here, a song that I have appreciated for, oh boy, this sounds like 30 years old or something. Yeah, I know. So just for the next, you know, three or four minutes, as you listen to the song, think about whatever it is that's stuck with you this morning in this song. Jesus, what is it you want to say? We'll watch the video, uh, and then we'll have one more, one more song from the praise team, and uh, we'll be discussing.
the Lord bless children, your children, and their children, may his favor be upon you, and a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children.
be blessed. Have a great week. Ready? All right, we're dismissed. We're going to sound probably.